The stage is dark, but the conversation is just beginning. Welcome back to the Utah Symphony's Ghost Light Podcast, a behind-the-curtain look into the world of classical music and the artists who make it. I'm your host, Jeff Counts. We're back for season two, and I'm delighted to welcome Kathleen Clausen, opera director, to the microphone. Welcome, Kathleen. Thank you, Jeff. It's great to be here. It's a pleasure to have you. You'll be directing the very first production of Utah Symphony's 40th anniversary season. You're doing a La Boheme. Yes, it's so exciting to be here and be part of this wonderful celebratory season. I want to talk about that a little bit because I'm curious, it being such an important year for the company, can you describe what it's like to direct something as iconic as Boheme during this time? I mean, do you feel any extra pressure because of the commemoration? What's it like? Well, I wouldn't say that I feel any extra pressure. What I'd say is that I'm sort of like Musetta in that I'm always up for a good party. (laughs) Um, Well played. (laughs) But also that the only pressure I ever feel as a director is the pressure to serve the piece. Sure. Uh, And maybe in this one instance to also feel that I'm helping to serve this wonderful company and community that it's a part of. We're all very excited about what's been happening here over the last few years. And obviously for the full, you know, run of the company's history, there's a lot of great memories. You have a lot to be proud of. I'm sure this Bohem's going to add to that. I I do want to talk about Bohem specifically, though. Let's let's I want to dig into your brain. I love talking to directors because of how deeply you research and how far afield you're willing to go to inform yourself. But it's common now to take an opera story and remove it from their original time and place from the context applied by the librettist and the composer but I find Boheme is often played straight kind of exactly as it lays and the way Puccini intended I wonder first of all if you agree with that and secondly if so if you think it's because their version of Paris the one that Puccini and his librettist conceived is still the strongest context for the story what do you think about that well first of all as a stage director um, I don't believe in resetting a piece unless it really helps to inform the audience in a different way. Mm-hmm. And my other personal rule is if a single word of text does not work when it's changed to a different time period, then I, I won't do it. Then it, the idea is Absolutely. Yeah. For me, mm-hmm. if, if you have to mm-hmm. change somebody's name or, or some reference to make it work, then it doesn't work for me. Um, there are a few references in Bohem that really are of a time. But more than anything, I think Bohem is pretty perfect the way it is. Mm-hmm. So there's no reason to go messing with it. Yeah, yeah. Are those references specific to the source material, Merger's book? Yes. Or, yeah. uh, and and also, I mean, they, they talk about um, in the fourth act, which we're just about to stage today, uh. um, that they they see Musetta has been seen in a in a coach, a coupe. Ah. And that that's a, a method of transportation yeah. that was used in a certain time period. Absolutely. That so, really that really does time stamp it. It makes it difficult to put her in a Ferrari or a yeah, spaceship. I mean, <laughs> maybe you could say a, 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 a coupe. Yeah, a coupe. <laughs> as opposed exactly. to a coupe. But, exactly. um, and, and I don't fault anybody who feels that differently than I do. It's just my own personal feeling about yeah. it. I've certainly seen it done different ways, but to me it always resonates best when it's... Well, Merger said that the Bohemians were really 
could only exist in Paris. Exactly. And they certainly exist there iconically. Yeah. Mimi dies of tuberculosis consumption. Yeah. And there were other periods in history when that was a big deal, but not in the same way. Yeah. Not untreatable and this is how you're going to go. Yeah. And I wonder what opportunities for reflection you think the Bohème story has for us today. Especially in the setting we were just discussing, it may be perceived as a little bit antique, but I think it's timeless. And it, it is absolutely timeless. It's the first opera I ever owned a recording of. Really? Uh, 105 years ago when I was in uh, seventh, <laughs> gra- in seventh <laughs> grade. And I think it resonates for everyone throughout their lives. I mean, uh, it was different to me when I was 13 years old mm-hmm. than when I was the age of the characters in the piece who sure. were 20. Yeah. And then now as I reflect back on my first great love. And mm-hmm. that's really the essence of the story. It's about that person that comes into your life and changes you forever. That name and face you never forget. You'll never forget. Yeah. You're you're changed forever because of that person. And yeah. and Mimi who comes into this garret uh, because her light has gone out, brings a light to the lives of everyone, not just Rodolfo, whom she falls in love with, but everyone is touched by her and her sort of purity of spirit. And I think anyone can think of someone in their lives that has that has changed them. Mm-hmm. And that's what the story is about. And we're back with opera director Kathleen Clausen. Are you doing anything specific with your direction? I mean, I don't want you to give any secrets away, but are there any choices that you're making to make these themes more present? I really think that Puccini and his librettist did the job for me. I, I really am just trying to let the music and the text speak through the really remarkable performers that we have. Yeah. It reminds me of a bit of advice my horn teacher once gave me, and I may have already actually said this on the podcast at one point, but I think it bears repeating. And I was playing one of the Mozart concertos, and I was trying to be very emotive, and I was trying to be very expressive. And he stopped me at one point, and he said, you know, leave it alone. Mozart was pretty good. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I always say, if let the smartest person in the room be the person that speaks. Yes. And that's that. in this case, that's going to be Puccini. doesn't have to sure. be somebody alive. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I love it. I want to talk a little bit about your career outside of what you're doing here with us. Now, I know that you've been associated with the Santa Fe Opera for a number of years, and you've worked with young singers there, both in the resident program and this high school program. Is this art form in good hands going forward? Alive and well. Great. I have every faith. Yeah. Great, great singing everywhere I go. And I experience it in Santa Fe every summer. The the quality of the apprentices that we have every summer mm-hmm. are, are truly remarkable and um, are, are passionate about the art form and are going out and carrying the torch. I have no qualms about the future of opera. That's really great to hear. I'm sure since you've been here, you've met our resident artists, and I, I'm really excited and about this And I'll be working group. with them too yeah. uh, while I'm here. So oh, that's, that's exciting. fabulous. Yes. That'll be great. This is a question that I, that I didn't ask Paul Curran or Christine McIntyre when I had him on this show and uh, two other opera directors, but I'm going to start asking this of every opera director I talk to because I think it's really interesting, if a little bit cheeky. 
I wonder if there's a person or circumstance from history, either now or long past, that you think needs an operatic treatment that doesn't have one yet. Well, I believe that the election we just had mm -hmm. is operatic in scope. Oh, it continues the, to be. The story's not over. What act are we so, in, um, Oh, <laughs> don't ask me what I hope. But right. um, I, I think it's evolving, and I think it might make a really, really great opera. Someone's going to do it, I'm sure. It's destiny. I think there's no doubt about <laughs> it. Well, it's been a thrill to talk to you about Boham and about your career and uh, this, this idea that you just shared, which somebody please steal and do something with. Um, but I have one more question for you, and it's sort of a tradition on the Ghostlight podcast. Because of our name, I'd like to know if you, Kathleen Clausen, have ever seen a ghost. Details, please. Okay, so I have never seen a, a theater ghost. I, I'm a resident of Albuquerque, New Mexico. Mm -hmm. That's where I was born, and I, and I live there. And there's a wonderful old theater there called the Chemo Theater downtown. And in 1951, there was an explosion of a water heater in the... Uh, lobby of that theater, uh. and many people were injured, and a young boy who was seven years old died oh, from his injuries, tragic. a very uh, horrible tragedy. Yeah. But the tradition in that theater, what they found is that they have a sort of what we call in the Southwest a descanso, a sort of altar mm -hmm. um, to this little boy, and that if you don't leave a gift for him, strange things happen on ah. stage. And one of the things that they have found that he, this ghost seems to respond to is donuts. <laughs> so the uh, the stage crew, if you're playing in this theater, you will find donuts hanging backstage on every set piece. That so is fabulous. It, it really is wonderful. So so the cast will always get together and, and purchase some little toy or something for this disconso, but then the crew has donuts all over the stage. Have you yourself made an offering at any point? I or? have indeed. Yeah. If you've got to live the afterlife someplace, a theater is not... It's not a bad choice. place, and may there be donuts in the may afterlife. May there always be donuts. You know, listeners of the show have heard a lot of ghost stories. This is the first one to involve donuts. I promise you there that. There you go. Kathleen Clausen, very excited to have you here for the opera's 40th. Look forward to Boheme. Thanks for joining us on the show. Thanks, Jeff. It's great being here. The Ghost Light Podcast is produced and edited by Chad Call. Utah Symphony Utah Opera season sponsor is the George S. and Dolores Dore Eccles Foundation.